Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. One day he'd be known as the greatest king in Israel's history. But he didn't start off that way. In fact, he started off as a very slow start. He was born into a, a family with, with eight boys, and he was boy number eight. He was the lowest on the totem pole, and that's why he ended up watching the shepherds in the field. It's what you did when you got the short, you drew the short straw in your family. But from that humble beginning, God had big plans for this young man, and through a series of God-ordained events, uh, he rose to the place of national prominence in the eyes of the nation of Israel. After several years of running for his life and being a step away from death and destruction, he rose to become the king of Israel. And once there in power, he became the greatest king that Israel would ever have. He expanded their borders militarily. He brought them to a place of peace. He brought them to a place of prosperity, unlike anything they'd ever seen before. And there was no question in his mind every step of the way that it was because this God he served that was, was with him. Over the course of his life, he'd learned that the God of Israel was his God, that God was his shepherd, that God was his refuge, that God was his strength, his deliverer, his mighty tower. God was his salvation. And so now he'd risen to power, and every promise that God had made him had come true, and he wanted to give back. And so on that particular day, King David called in one of his top advisors, he was a spiritual advisor, his name was Nathan, his name, he was a prophet, he had a special connection with God. And when Nathan came in, he shared his idea. He wanted to give back to this God who had become the center and the passion of his life. And Nathan loved his idea, and he said, David, God has been with you every step of the way. I think you need to go for it. If this is in your heart, just go for it. That night, so they left, and Nathan went home. David went back to the palace they're both excited about this plan, but in the middle of the night, God showed up. He appeared to the prophet. Next day, he comes knocking on the palace doors. David, I got a message from God. I got some good news. I've got some bad news. The bad news is, is that God doesn't want you to build a house for him. I know you've just built a house for yourself and built a palace, and you've moved the capital here to Jerusalem, and you want to build a permanent house for God. He's never had that. We've always worshiped God in a tent. And you want to build this house, and it's a great idea, but God says you're not the one to do it, that one's going to come after you to do it. That's the bad news. The good news is, is that God wants to build a house for you. Now, not a literal house. You just got through with your palace. You've got a place to live. But God wants to build a house in the sense of a dynasty, that he wants to create a line of kings that will come from you. That after you die, unlike your predecessor Saul who died and that was the end of his rule, that from you they would establish a, a line of rulers, a house of David. David couldn't believe it. And God was raising him up from his humble origins, this little podunk town of Bethlehem and being the youngest of eight brothers. Who would have thought? And, and yet now he's become the king of Israel. And on top of that, now God's going to expand it out and create a line of rulers, a dynasty from his from his house is almost too good to be true. And sure enough, God kept his word. And after David got old and his son Solomon rose to the throne and Solomon led the nation to a time of unprecedented peace and scholars look back and call it the golden age of Israel. And sure enough, Solomon built the house for God, the temple in Jerusalem. But there was more to the prophecy that day than just Solomon. There was a deeper magic at work. There was a, a deeper long-term prophecy because that day when Nathan came to David, he said that one day a ruler would rise that would rule forever, that one day he would have a son who would rise up and his, his reign would never end. Well, today is Christmas weekend, and I'm so glad you're here to celebrate it with us. And I don't know about you. I know for many people, Christmas can be a, a tough time. It's a time of loss, a time of sadness, and maybe that's where you are today and understand that. But I think for a lot of us here, that Christmas is, is a great time. It's, it's a time you look forward to. You know, I love it every year. The lights come out. You get the Christmas tree. Uh, you, you, you trim the tree. The, you see the lights in the neighborhood go up. You start buying your gifts. It's a time for family. It's a time for friends. It's a time for fudge and food and all those good things. And, and it's one of my favorite times of the year. I just love Christmas. But I don't know about you, but... But it's easy in the midst of the craziness 
just to forget what it's all about, isn't it? You're so distracted. And I'm not talking about just the basic story of Christmas. You know, babe in the manger, pregnant couple, long trip, dangerous, star in the sky, wise men, shepherds in the fields. I mean, I think we remember that part. We get enough Hallmark cards with the picture on the front, or you come to back to Bethlehem. And by the way, did you hear last night we had over almost 8,000 people back just last night? Amazing. So that brought our total to 17,000 for the week. And uh, so I think it's a record by far. But, uh, but so, so all around us, we got nativity scenes, and we got things reminding us of the basic story of Christmas. And even if you're a Christ follower, I think it's possible to miss the significance of this event and, and what this event means in terms of the cosmic drama that's playing out since the beginning of time in history. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a little journey down through history, and we're going we're to talk about what I'm calling the backstory to Christmas, kind of the story before the story that sets it up. And there in your note sheet, you've got a section called uh, Christmas, the backstory. And I'm sure that some of you know parts of this backstory. Probably for some of us here, it's like, no, we just don't know really any of the backstory, but you can't really understand the significance of Christmas from God's point of view unless you understand the backstory. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a journey today, and we're going to look through five chapters, I'm calling them, in this backstory, five chapters that lead up to this event we call Christmas that set it in its context and help us understand what was really going on and what the day is all about. And so if you have your Bible today, we're going to be using it a lot. Now, if you're new to Rocky Peak or you're a visitor, you don't have a, a Bible, I encourage you to look on with um, maybe a neighbor because it's Christmas, they've got to share. Um, or if you're like, no, I want my own space, I don't want to look on someone else's Bible, that's fine too. Because inside of your white message note sheet that I hope you pulled out by now, um, I've printed all the passages we're going to be looking at today. So if you don't have your Bible, you're in good shape. But if you do have your Bible, you're a regular here at Rocky Peak, you should bring it every week, mark it up. I want you to use your Bible, okay? Don't cheat off the sheet. Because it's always better from your own Bible. And uh, you're going to learn more and you're going to be able to mark it up and so on. So, um, so we're going to be using uh, a lot of Bibles. We're going to go through this, uh, a lot of Scripture going through these five backstories, um, five chapters of the backstory. So let's jump in. Uh, number one, uh, chapter one in the backstory, let's call it Eve's story, as in Adam and Eve, okay? So the first, the first, uh, first chapter of this backstory, we go back to the very beginning of time. First man, first woman, the garden. And uh, if you're new here at Rocky Peak, we've just finished a five-week series on spiritual warfare. Uh, it's called the, the War, the story behind the story. And uh, in that series, what we learned is that as strange as it might seem to, to many, many of us, kind of our modern mindset, uh, a Western scientific mindset and so on, that as strange as it seems that Jesus was really clear, the New Testament was really clear, that you and I are caught up in a cosmic battle. It's been going on since the very beginning of time, uh, uh, kind of a war behind the scenes, and that we have an enemy, and that he's, he's brilliant, and he's powerful, and he's strategic, and he's out to destroy our lives, and not just our lives, but the whole race. And so as we go to chapter one of the backstory, we, we, we pick up with the opening blow, the opening battle in this war. And we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter three, so let me set the stage. Well, here's the situation. God has created the world. We're not sure how long it's been around at this point. He's created um, the, 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 uh, the first man, the first woman. They created this garden. It's an amazing place, and there's no rules. It's like total freedom. They're just having a great time. Um, uh, they've got all the, the delicious food they need. They, they've got one another, beautiful relationship. A life is great. No bills to pay. Uh, you know, it's, life is good. And uh, there's just one rule. Total freedom, but one rule, and the one rule is they're not supposed to eat from this particular tree in the middle of the garden. And uh, it's, it's all about choice. You know, it's, as human beings, we have to choose whether we want to be in a relationship with God or not, and so we have to have the ability to choose. And so there's this one tree that um, God says, you know, you can either trust me and follow me, or you can kind of strike out on your own and disobey me. This is one tree. And so, so that's the scene, and in the scene as we look at it, the enemy is going to come to this first man and first woman. And what he's going to say is he's going to say, you know, God has told you that if you eat from this tree, you're going to die. But that is not the truth. The, the truth is that uh, he's trying to hold you down. 
He's trying to restrict you. It's not a warning to protect you. He is he's out to kind of keep you from experiencing life to its fullest, which is still the lie that he uses on us today, right? And so he, he throws out this lie, and so they have a choice to make. Do they trust this creator who's loved them and provided for them, or do they, they go with this, this new enemy? They don't know he's an enemy at this point. And, of course, they make the wrong choice. Now, God had said that, that if the day you eat of it, you'll die. And sure enough, the moment they ate, all the death process kicked in. It wasn't just, it wasn't just the physical process of death. That kicked in that day. But uh, it was also the spiritual process. I mean, they lost connection with the creator who'd made them. Uh, they, it was relationally. They lost connection with one another. And the breakdown of relationships we see in our culture today is, is a result of all of that. They, they changed. There was in their core character that changed in who they were as people. And there was, there was a fall that took place. And the evil that we experience in our own hearts is kind of normal today. It's like that happened that day. And so, and so this death came in, and so it's the dark day for the planet. It's the day the planet fell. It's the day the race fell. It's, it's why the world is like it is today. And in the midst of that darkness of that day, God comes to the first man and the first woman, and he makes a promise. And his promise is that one day they're going to have a child. And this child is going to be a savior. He's going to be a deliverer. He's going to be like a hero that rises up to restore the universe, the whole cosmos, to the creator. You see? And so that's what we're going to be looking at. So let's talk about Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, this is the enemy, the enemy that Jesus talks about in the New Testament, often pictured as a serpent. He says, because you've done this, because you've deceived this first couple and led them to death, um, cursed are you, you're under a curse. And we're skip to verse 15, and I will put enmity, a battle, a strife, a war, so to speak, I will create a war between you and the woman, between you, Eve, and the woman, and between your offspring, Eve, your children, and his, uh, or, uh, between your offspring, Satan's, and hers. And then he makes his prophecy. And here we come, the first, uh, first promise of Christmas, all right? First prophecy of Christmas, that, that he will crush your head. In other words, that there will be a son of, of Eve that will one day arise, a human being, who will crush the serpent's head. And, but in the process, you will strike his heel, that he will be wounded in this process. There will be some kind of battle that takes place. And so right here at the beginning of time, we have the first chapter in our backstory to Christmas. The promise of a coming deliverer, a hero, who will bring back the universe and the race to God, restore things to the rightful place. So it's chapter 2. Let's move on. Chapter 2, we're going to move forward several thousand years in time. We're not sure exactly how many thousands of years. But what we do know is that the next chapter takes, two, uh, takes place in about the year 2000 B.C. And this is Abraham's story. Now, uh, the place of this uh, story takes place in modern-day Iraq. And so what happens is there's a, there's a couple there in Iraq. They're uh, pagans, pagan mom and dad. They worship the moon god. And... They live in the town of Ur, the city of Ur. Now, Ur was uh, a big-time city in ancient civilizations. In fact, uh, by the time Abram was born in Ur to these parents, um, in fact, later his name was changed to Abraham, but right now he's he's still Abram. Um, By the time he was born, major civilizations had risen and fallen there. And so in the year 2000 B.C., um, when Abram was born, Ur was a major, uh, major city. In fact, some archaeologists estimate that as many as 300,000 people lived in the city of Ur. It was located on the, on the river Euphrates, which is still running today. Um, it was about 200 miles south and east of Baghdad. It was a very advanced civilization. They'd already figure out uh, uh, how to do their farming, and so they had uh, irrigation to do their farming. They, had, uh, they, they built houses, nice houses. Uh, 
They, they were like two-story. They were made out of bricks and then plastered over with a courtyard in the middle. They'd probably go for a million, two million bucks if they're in Southern California. Just beautiful places. Um, uh, educationally, they learned how to read. They learned how to write. In fact, they built huge libraries. We still have tens of thousands of clay tablets uh, from their libraries. Um, they, they were advanced business, in business. They're advanced in medicine. They're advanced in mathematics. The beautiful artworks, complex law codes, advanced law codes. So very advanced civilization, but very pagan. Did not know the true God. In fact. Um, they, we know that they worship the moon god because if you go there today, you can still see this three-story pyramid-type structure, a kind of stair-stepped pyramid, and it's called the ziggurat, and that's where they would worship at the top to be a temple to the moon god. And so it's into this pagan environment that God writes chapter 2 of our backstory. God shows up to this young man named Abram. He says, Abram, I've got a plan for your life. I'm the true, I'm the real God. And I want you to follow me. And if you follow me, I'll make you a great nation. And uh, I'll bless you. I'll protect you. I'll lead you. In fact, one day, the whole world will be blessed from one of your descendants. Abraham decides to follow. So he has to leave everything behind. Leave his extended family, his home, his country, his house, whatever. He had to leave it behind. And so we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 12. So why don't you take your Bibles and let's go forward a little bit to Genesis chapter 12. So we see the, uh, the second chapter in this backstory. Genesis chapter 12, start at verse 1. So the Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, leave your people, and your father's household. Go to the land that I will show you. And if you do, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll become famous. That's true. We're still talking about him today. I'll make your name great. Flip the page. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those whom you curse. So there's a protection of Abraham. And here comes the breath. Here becomes the second chapter of the Christmas backstory. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Somehow this hero will arise, not only a descendant of Eve. But now we know he's going to come from the nation of what? Uh, which nation? Okay, we got one person paying attention. Okay, which person, which nation will this be? Israel. Yeah, we, of course, they didn't, they didn't call it Israel yet because Israel hadn't been born yet. We'll get there in a couple, uh, couple minutes. But, but it's from the Jewish nation that out of Abraham's seed, out of his, um, of his lineage, out of his nation, a hero will arise. Okay, okay let's go to chapter 3 now. So chapter 3 of the backstory is, we'll, we'll call this one Judah's story. Now we're jumping ahead a couple hundred years. Sure enough, uh, God kept this promise to Abram, later named him Abraham. It took a while. He promised he would have a son and that they would, this son would become a nation. And now he's uh, 100 years old and it still hasn't happened yet. His wife's uh, getting old, he's getting old, they're both past childbearing years, and God says, just trust me, you know, and sure enough, at 100 years old, they have their first child together. Now, does that seem like a, a cruel joke to you? I mean, your parents, right? 100 years old, can you imagine that? Well, they, they saw the humor in it, too. They called their son laughter. That's what Isaac means. Uh, called him laughter. Hey, laughter, <laughs> come over. His whole life was a joke. And so... And so Isaac then grows up, and Isaac has, uh, gets married, and his wife, uh, one day as she's pregnant, expecting God speaks a word of prophecy to her. Her name was Rebecca, and God says to her, Rebecca, inside of your womb right now, it's not one child, it's two child. In fact, they're, they're, they're sons. You're going to have twins. But, but the thing is, is the younger son, contrary to what's normal in your culture, it's the younger son who will rule. It's your younger son will be the line of promise that I'm establishing. And sure enough, she has the two boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob grows up, and he has 12 sons. God changes his name to Israel, one who struggles with God, Israel. And so now we have the 12 sons of Israel. Very good. <laughs> All right, good morning. Wake up. We're at church. Let's go. Uh, so you got the 12 sons of Israel. They become the 12 tribes of Israel, right? 
And so now we, we fast forward to the end of Jacob's life. He calls his 12 sons in. He wants to give them the traditional blessing. And, and God gives him a word of prophecy for each of his sons. Let's pick up the story in, Jap- in Genesis uh, 49. What we'll see is when he gets to the fourth son, he says something very amazing. As the, we get the third chapter, the backstory, Chapter 49 and verse 1. So Jacob called for his sons and he said, gather around so I can tell you what will happen in the days to come. He's got a prophetic word for them. And in verse 10, we're going to pick up the story where he's, now he's talking to his fourth son whose name is Judah. And he says, the scepter, which is the, the sign of a king, right? The rod that a, a king would, would rule, uh, rule with. A scepter will not depart from Judah. In other words, in the, in the future, a rule of king, a, a, a line of kings will come over the nation of Israel, and they'll come from the tribe of Judah. So the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. And so God says that from the line of Judah will come a line of kings, and one of those kings, the last king, will be the one to whom the obedience of the nations belongs. He will rule not only over the nation of Israel, he will rule over the nations. And so now we have chapter 3 of this backstory. So a hero is coming. He's going to be a descendant of Eve. He's going to come from the nation of Abraham, the Jewish nation. He's going to come from the line of Judah. He's going to be a king and he's going to rule over the whole, whole earth. Okay, now chapter 4. Chapter 4 in the backstory, we continue to move forward now to about the year 1000, 1000 years BC, but 1000 years before the first Christmas. And, and so David, this is David's story, and this is the story we started the day with. So God's with David. He rises to power. He becomes this amazing king. He wants to build a house for God. God says, no, it's not your job to build a house for me. I want to build a house or a line, a a dynasty for you. One will come from your own body. He will rise up and and he will be the one who builds a temple and so on. In fact, let's just look at this one on your note sheet. In chapter, uh, uh, in in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says, the Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name. And catch this, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I'll be a father to him, and he'll be a son to me. And so now we've taken one more step in the back story. Not only a descendant of Eve, not only a child of Abraham, not only from the line of Judah, not only, but now uh, David was from the line of Judah, and but now within the line of Judah, it's going to come from the family of David. So we've had four chapters, and there's one last chapter. Chapter 5 is called the prophet's story. Prophets, plural, because we're going to be looking at more than one. Now we move forward in time. Like I said, David reigned about the year 1000 B.C. So now we're going to move forward in time about 300 years. It's approximately 700 B.C., 700 years before the first Christmas. And God speaks to two men, to, to two prophets. One man's named Isaiah, one man's named uh, Micah. And he gives us some more detail about this coming king. And so let's start with Micah, and we'll just look at your note sheet for this one, and then we'll pick up Isaiah, we'll look in the, in, the, in the Bible itself. But so here's what Micah says. He gives us some more information. He says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now, Bethlehem, like I mentioned earlier, it was really a podunk little town. You know, uh, Lynn and I you know, grew up in San Diego County, in, in North County there, like Vista Oceanside, Carlsbad, and there was a little town called Bonzel there, uh, there. And if you've ever been through Bonzo, there's kind of Arco Station, couple things, and that's about it. You know, it's just, it's really like in the middle of nowhere. Where, well, when I used to teach on this, I would call Bethlehem sort of the Bonzo of, of the Old Testament. You know, it's just like, it was just, it just was out of the way. The only thing it had going for it was that King David had been born in this backwater little, little, uh, uh, little place, little town. 
And, and so the prophet comes and says, believe it or not, this hero that's going to arise, the one that's going to crush the serpent's head, this king that's going to rule, he's actually going to come from the backwaters of Israel, this little town of Bethlehem. And Ephrathah is just the area surrounding Bethlehem. And he says, though you are small among the clans of Judah, okay, out of you will come one for me who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So now the mystery deepens. Now we not only know he's going to be a child of David, but he's actually going to be born in the city of David, in the little town of Bethlehem, the backwater town of Bethlehem. But beyond that, it's starting to get really mysterious now because we've clearly seen in all these other backstories, all these other chapters we've already looked at, that this coming deliverer, he's clearly a human being, isn't he? He's a descendant of Eve. He's a descendant of Abraham, descendant of Judah, descendant of David. He's a human being. He's a man. He's fully man. And yet now Micah begins to say there's something mysterious about this man. There's something supernatural about this man that, that when he's born, it won't be the start of his life, that his origins are from ancient time that has been going, he's been, his goings forth have been from, from the time in the past. There's, he's existed before he was born, and the mystery, the mystery deepens. Fortunately, Isaiah helps us out. Like I said, Isaiah was lived at the same time as Micah. They were contemporaries. In Isaiah chapter 9, he gives us the next piece of this backstory. So let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. Sort of the middle of your Old Testament, middle of your Bible. Um. Isaiah chapter 9. Now this verse should be familiar to a lot of you because it, it shows up on Christmas cards. Hallmark's made a lot of money off this verse. And we have the next step in our backstory. Verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born. And for us, to us, a son is given. This is familiar, right? We've heard of this, this story. Okay. For us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be a ruler. He'll lead the government. And he will be called. Now, look at these names. He's going to be called the Wonderful Counselor. So he's going to be brilliant. He's going to understand how life works when he comes. He's going to be, now catch this. Are you kidding me? What's it say next? He's going to be what? The mighty God. Now, we are way too familiar with this. Can you imagine when this prophecy came? Are you kidding me? This hero that's going to come, he's not only the descendant of Eve and a son of Abraham and from the tribe of Judah and the line of David, he's not only fully human, but this, this hero is going to be in some strange way the mighty God. How does that happen? How can a person be a human being and yet be God? And like the opposites. Like God is, by definition, infinite. And a human being, by definition, is finite. How does the infinite become finite? And the mystery deepens. But there's no question that Isaiah is saying that this hero who is coming is none other than God himself to rescue the planet. And if there's any question, he goes on, look what he calls him next. He's the everlasting father. That this child that's born, this son, this son of God, is going to be in some way so closely united with the father that they're going to be as one. Remember what Jesus would later say, I and my father are one. And then he goes on and it says he's, he's going to be the prince of peace, the king of peace. He's going to be one that ends this cosmic battle once and for all. He's going to bring peace, the battle that started at the garden. And he goes on in verse 7, it says, Of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, there we have it again, over his kingdom. He's establishing it, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So there we have it, the backstory. Now this is what the nation of Israel knew that first Christmas. They knew that God had promised that one day a hero would come. 
He would be a descendant of Eve. He would rise up to crush the serpent's head, to turn back the hands of time, to reset the break in the universe, to reclaim the cosmos for the Creator. They knew that, that He would come. He'd be of Eve's line. They knew that He would be from the nation of Israel. That They knew He would be from the tribe of Judah that he would one day rule the whole world and he would specifically come from the line of David and that he would rule in Bethlehem. And this is what they knew was common knowledge. This is the backstory to Christmas. And so when the wise men, these Persian astrologers or whoever they were, they came all the way from Persia, maybe a thousand miles in search of the king. And they show up and they say, we are looking for the king of the Jews. We followed his star. It got us this far to Jerusalem. We don't know where to go from here. Do you have any suggestions? The spiritual leaders of the day, they didn't have to pause. They didn't have to think. They didn't have to uh, uh, call a council. All they had to do, they look at each other and say, well, that's obvious. It's Bethlehem. It's Bethlehem. He's the son of David. That's where the king's going to be born. You see, they knew the backstory. What also, I think, helps us understand now that we reviewed it is it helps us to see Christmas in context. You know what? See, the thing about Christmas is we often think of it as kind of warm and fuzzy holiday where we drink cider and eat fudge and put up the tree and the warm baby, the little baby in the manger comes. It's all warm and cuddly and there's kind of a general good sense of goodwill to men. That's Christmas. God's with us. And now you be understand that Christmas is so much more than that. Christmas is the coming of this cosmic hero to crush the serpent's head that's been prophesied throughout time. Chapter after chapter of backstory, he's come to rescue us. That's the story of Christmas. I mentioned in our last series on spiritual warfare, I often mention this, that Christmas was more like an invasion. It was more like D-Day than it is like Silent Night. Uh, there in your note sheet, uh, there's a great quote from Philip Yancey, one of my favorite authors. He wrote a book called The Bible Jesus Read, talking about the Old Testament. And look what he says, from God's viewpoint and from Satan's, Christmas signals far more than the birth of a baby. It was an invasion the decisive advance, and the great struggle for the cosmos. It's exactly what it was. Um, you see, Christmas is not the end of the story. That's how we often look at Christmas. Like it's Christmas time again, right? It kicks in, what, about October nowadays? You know, a little before Halloween. Next year, it's after 4th of July. And so it's like it's Christmas, you know, and it's, it's, we go out and we get the tree and we trim the tree and put the lights on and and then Christmas is over, and we put it back in the box, and you got two weeks to get your tree out, take away with the trash people, and it's over. Christmas is over. We think of Christmas as an event kind of frozen in time. It, it sort of it comes, it happens, it's done. But what we see now, we understand, is that Christmas isn't the end of the story. Christmas is the halfway mark in the story. You see, it's just, it's just, an, it's just chapter 6 in this this long story that God's telling. And in chapter 6, that little baby's going to grow up and he's going to become a man and he's going to start a movement. And guess what he calls his movement? He calls it the kingdom of God. What else would a, call, a king call his movement? He launches a movement to reclaim the planet. He draws a line in the sand. He says to us, you're either with me or against me. He said, I, I've come from my father with, with terms of peace. I've come to offer you total amnesty for your rebellion as a race against the king of kings. And if you will follow me, I will forgive every crime against the king you've ever committed. And I will come and I will, I will be birthed in your life. I will come and live in your life and I'll change you from the inside. And I'll, I'll be that, that wise counselor to teach you how to live your life. I'll bring peace to your life. I'll change your life. I'll... I'll give you a new purpose, a new sense of meaning. And when you die, you'll spend forever with me. I want you to be a part of my kingdom. And so he gives us this invitation, and yet we have to decide. He says, are you going to stay with me, or are you, are you against me? Are you going to cross the lines in the spiritual war that's gone on since the beginning of time? 
Are you going to come to experience life as it was meant to be lived, or are you going to continue to live in the land of darkness, the land of death? It's your choice. And so he presents us with a decision. You can't look at the baby without making the decision, try as we might. And so there in your note sheet, there's this last section. It's called Christmas chapter 7. What's your story? Here's my question for you. What is your story in relationship to Christmas? We've seen the five chapters of the backstory. We've seen chapter 6. It's a story of Christmas and the, and the life he lived and the death he died and the resurrection he brought. That's chapter 6. But chapter 7 is your story. Chapter 7 is about how does your story of your life relate to the story of his life? What's the connection between his story and your story? You know, are we going to respond to the story like the wise men of old who traveled a thousand miles to give their very best to worship and bow down and worship? Is our story going to be like the, the shepherds in the field who obeyed their orders and went in, dropped everything in search of this king so they could follow him? Or do we want to continue living our own lives, our own ways, like we always have? Hear the story of Christmas, put the cards on the mantle of our life and move on. Sort of like King Herod, who didn't want another ruler in his life. He wanted to rule his own life. And so he did everything he could to extinguish the story of the child, even to take him out, to kill him. See, that's the decision we have to make. You know, one of the, uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to most uh, about this weekend, this Christmas, um, is just enjoy celebrating Christmas with some of you who've come to know Jesus for the very first time this year. There's been so many of you here at this church this year who've come to know Jesus. That, that this, this year that Christ was born into your life. You had your Christmas early this year. That birth may have happened in January. It could happen in March. For some of you, it was in June. For others, in September. For some of you, it was just a couple weeks ago in December when we finished our series on the war. But you came to a certain point in your life where you realized who this baby was and you gave your life to him. You asked him to come into your life and he began changing you from the inside out. And for you, this Christmas is unlike any other Christmas. It's like you've come alive and for the first time you understand what Christmas is all about. And a couple weeks ago, Lynn and I were over at some friend's house and there's one uh, couple there, they're a young 20-something couple, probably 23, 24 and we're talking, and this couple, Christy and Michael, this couple have come to know Jesus this year, 2007. And, and so they were talking about what a year it's been for them. And, and so here's their story. So about um, uh, two years ago, uh, Christy's mom and dad make their way to the Church of Rocky Peak through a long series of events we don't have time to go into. They, they both lived a wild and hard life. They're a young 40-something couple. Marriage was in trouble. Life was not going well. Not Christ followers. And somehow God drew them here. And through a long series of events, I can't take time to go into, that first of all, the mom came to Jesus and her life was radically changed. And then the, the dad came to Jesus about three weeks later. And, and so their lives began to shift and change. Now their daughter wasn't living at home at the time. She was in Oregon going to college. And she heard about her, this, this new decision her mom and dad had made. And she's freaking out because uh, she's, she's known some Christians in her life. She didn't really like them. And uh, she's really worried about her mom and dad going off the deep end now, you know. And so um, she was kind of, a, kind of a new age person, you know. Uh, kind of some God out there, some, you know, I don't know, kind of woo-woo thing. I don't know. And... Um, you know, some God somewhere, somehow, and I'm not sure, and all paths lead the same place, and we know we're all in this together, and somehow it's all going to work out. And that was kind of her approach to the whole God thing. And so she wanted nothing to do with this whole Jesus thing, but over the next year and a half, she began to watch God work in, in her parents' life. And, and the changes there were not superficial changes. It wasn't like they just started going to church and, okay, we'll start reading the Bible a little bit or something you'd expect. I mean, they're, they're like changing from the inside out. I mean, God had gotten a hold of them. They're becoming new people. There was a new love in their life. There was new tenderness in their life. There was new courage in their life. There was new power in their life. There was new compassion. And she's watching this, and she's watching their marriage be transformed, and she can't believe this thing. And after about a year and a half of watching this, I was like, what, we're like next, uh, we're like, uh, it was like December a year ago. And we were, Lynn and I, a December a year ago, were over at these parents' house, and we met Christian Michael for the first time. 
And so they're, they're engaged at this point. And uh, so we meet them, and a couple months later I get a call, and they want to know that they're getting married in March of this year, 2007. Would you do the wedding? And so because of the family connection, I said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do the wedding. And so we meet, get together to plan the wedding. And he said, the one thing you have to understand, we want no God stuff in this wedding. No God stuff. Um, you know, I already knew where Chris is coming from, kind of the new age thing. Michael had some new age kind of stuff going on too, but he was also really into science and philosophy and, and history and stuff like that. He didn't think Christianity was a credible deal, and so he wanted nothing to do either. And so they wanted no God stuff, no Jesus stuff, no Bible stuff, no prayer stuff, nothing, you know. I said, great, I'll, I can do that, you know, do a secular wedding. I'll be like the MC. <laughs> and so we did the wedding, but but little known to them, God was working on them behind the scenes. And over the next three months, over the next three months, there was a long series of events. I can't go into all the details. It was on Father's Day of this year. Christy was sitting right down here, and, and it, it just got clear to her who Jesus was. And she asked him into her life, and he radically transformed her life overnight. So her husband's very supportive. Michael's very supportive of this. You know, this is your spiritual journey. I've got mine. I'm supportive of you. And, and so that's great for you. It's not for me. I'm no, no interest in that, but great for you. But he begins to watch his wife's life change. These same changes start happening just spontaneously in her. No one taught her. No one trained her. It's just God's spirit creating in her the life that she was meant to be lived. And so over that summer, he began to watch that. And somewhere along the point, he thought, you know, maybe I've shortchanged this Jesus. Maybe I need to investigate him a little bit. Maybe I need to give this whole Jesus story thing a, a little better look, a second look. And I got to tell you, it's always dangerous to give Jesus a fair look, right? <laughs> it's just, that's not even a fair fight. And so he begins to investigate, and he begins to seek if there could be anything to this. And on September 10th of this year, Michael, here at a weekend service, he asked Jesus into his life. And his life changed. Okay, so now fast forward. It's December now. We're about two or three weeks ago where this story started. I'm sitting with them at their house, and we're talking about Christmas. And Christy sharing, Mike, it's just, it's unbelievable. This Christmas is totally different for me. I mean, I've grown up, even though she was, she was Jewish upbringing. She said, I've grown up Jewish, and we didn't sing Christmas carols. And so, but, man, but I was in choir. She has a great voice. I was in choir all those years. We were always singing these Christmas carols, and it was just a story to me. It's just the babe in the manger, the pregnant couple, the star, the, the wise men. You know, cards on the mail. We understand the whole thing. It's just a story. A couple weeks ago, she said, I'm sitting in my exercise class, like a Pilates class, and they put on Christmas music. As we begin to listen, everyone else is just kind of doing their exercises. But it's like the scales came off my eyes, and I realized these songs I've been singing the whole life, it's the backstory of Christmas. They're singing about the one who's changed my life this year. The birth of the baby is the one who has birthed in my life this year and has changed me from the inside out. And she said, I, Christmas is totally different for me. It's all come alive. It's not an event in the past. It's, it's, it's a story that goes on today in my life. And you see, that's chapter seven. See, every one of us has a chapter seven in our life. How do we respond to the baby? How do we respond to this hero? He doesn't give us a lot of wiggle room. You're either for me or against me. How do you respond to this story? What's your story? Is Christmas just an event to you? The mantle, the cards, the Christmas tree, the manger scene, or is Christmas a personal event in your life? You've had your Christmas. You've experienced the Son of God being given birth in your life and changing you from the inside out. What's chapter 7 in your life? That's what Christmas is all about. Let's pray together. Lord, this is just an amazing story. As we stand back from this book that was written by all these different authors over thousands of years, and yet you watch this supernatural thread of ancient prophecy being fulfilled, the coming of this hero, the, the descendant of Eve, the son of Abraham, the, from the tribe of Judah and the line of David, born in Bethlehem, 
the fully human hero and yet the Son of God, the mighty God, come to rescue us. And God, for many of us, this is the first time we've ever heard that backstory. It's the first time we've ever even seen Christmas in context of what it's all about. God, for some of us here today is the day when for the first time in our life the lights are going on as to who this child is. While our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I want to talk to you for just a minute. If you're sitting here today and this is the first time Christmas has really made sense and there's something within you, you can't even explain it right now, but God's Spirit is working in your life and you you'll know it because you'll sense a hunger to know this Jesus I've been talking about. You'll sense a hunger in your, I want to be one of those people that have the Son of God given birth in my life. I, I want to know him like that. I want a new life. I want my sins and my crimes against the king to be forgiven. I want him to change me from the inside out. I want a new life. I'm tired of my old life. I want something new. I want to follow him. If that's you, I want to give you a chance on this Christmas day to open that gift. Because Jesus makes the offer. His offer is this amazing Christmas gift he's pushing across the table to you right now. This offer of total amnesty and a new life. But like every gift, you have to decide whether you open it and receive it or whether you put it on the shelf of your life only to check in next year at Christmas. And if you're here today and you want to know this this babe who grew up to be the hero, I want to give you a chance right now to invite him into your life, to ask him to take over your life. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And if this expresses the desire of your heart, you just pray along with me silently. And he will hear you and he will come in. And so just pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to be the long-promised hero. I ask you to come into my life and to be my hero. I pray that this day you'll be born in my life, that you'll forgive me for all I've done that's wrong, my rebellion against you and your kingdom, that you'll change me from the inside out. You'll give me your spirit. Come and live with me. Teach me how to follow you. And you'll save a spot in eternity, when my time comes. While our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, if you just prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to do me one more thing, just a favor, is that in a few minutes, we'll be taking our morning offering, our registration cards. There's one inside of your weekend program. And what I'd simply ask is you would write me a note and just say, Mike, I prayed the prayer, or I asked Jesus into my life, or however you want to put it, we'll know what you're talking about. And this week, we can do a couple things. We'll be praying for you in your new journey with Jesus, but also I'll send you a letter with some practical steps that you can take to start this new relationship. And so even if you're not here from this area, you're in from out of town, you're visiting, this letter will be very helpful to you to help get you started in the, in the right footing. Lord, we come now as your church, the church at Rocky Peak. We thank you for what you're doing here in our church. We thank you for what we've learned today. We thank you most of all for being our hero, the one who has come to fulfill the cosmic drama, to return the universe back to its rightful king and owner. And Lord, we just thank you that you've called us to do that. And we've come to know you and you've changed our lives. And this Christmas day, we thank you for that best of all gifts, the gift of your son. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Boy, we miss that sometimes. You know, you know the Christmas story, the angels come. We all know the story. You realize it's the only time in the history of the world that's happened. And the reason why is because it's the pinnacle. It's, it's like this was God breaking in to the race. There's a reason why only once in all of human history that all the angels show up, you see. It's because of this backstory. Hey, I hope you can join us as we move into the new year. Um, it's been great having you here today. And uh, next weekend, we're doing a spe- I'm doing a special message to welcome in the new year. It's called 2008, uh, Moving Forward by Looking Back. And one of the most important spiritual lessons that, that I've learned in life is that if we want to move forward into what I call God's preferred future for our life, that one of the things we need to learn how to do is to remember what he's taught us in the past. 
And so next week, we're going to be asking the question, what are the top lessons that God has taught you in 2007 that you need to remember and identify and hold on to in order for you to move into 2008? So I hope you can join us for that. And then the following week, we're kicking off a four-week series for the new year for, in, for January. It's called Priority One. In fact, in your, in your uh, note sheet, you've got a... Uh, 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 program, you've got a handout like this, and uh, we're going to spend four weeks talking about priorities. You know, I think most of us would agree that um, getting our priorities straight is probably one of the most important things to living life well, and of all of our priorities, uh, our most important priority is our relationship with God, and while most of us, I think at times, we're, we're, we're get that, we, we understand that, or at least at times in our life, that's so easy to get distracted. So we're going to spend four weeks and talk about what does it look like to make God priority one. And to get at this, we're going to be going, uh, looking at the, uh, the, the ancient uh, Hebrew prophet Haggai in the Old Testament. And uh, so probably you've never studied a uh, study like this. And it's going to be a great four weeks as we talk about what does it look like to make God priority one. So I hope you can join us as we move into the new year and experience all that God has for us. Now may the Lord bless you and may he strengthen you this Christmas season. Um, whether this is a time of great joy for you or a time of loss, may you find him to be either your celebration or your comfort uh, in the next couple of days especially. Um, may this be the year that you experience Christ as the one who bruises the serpent head in your life and frees you from the control of the enemy who wants to keep you down. May this be the year that you experience Abraham's son, the one who came to bless the whole world. May it be a year where you experience the rule of the king of Judah, Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, ruling well in your life. May it be a year that you come to know this God who is not only fully human, but the mighty God. May this be a year where Christ is born in your life in a new and a fresh way, that you may experience him in the life he came to, not only to be born, but to die to give you. May you come to experience the Christ of Christmas, not just this, this week, but the Christ of Christmas all year, the Christ who came to live within us. God bless you. Love you. See you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.